Thank you, Cordova family. Good job, Caleb. You killed it. Much better than last week. Of course, Jonathan didn't have the, uh, the, skill, the lighter skills, but the lighter was possessed. It, was not, it wasn't acting according to the spirit. But uh, we, yeah, so today's theme is hope, you know, and it's, we're, back in, we're back in Hebrews. Um, no, I'm just good. Where today's theme is hope, and you know, we, if you look at chapters 11, 12, and 13, some commentators like to look at chapters 11, obviously, as faith uh, in, in chapter uh, 11 of Hebrews. And then chapter 12, which we're in today, is hope. The theme of chapter 12 could be hope because of all the great things that we're learning about. And then in chapter 13, which is coming up quickly, the theme there is love. So faith, hope, and love. And out of these three, the greatest is love. That's right. And so I'm going to read from our passage today, Hebrews chapter 12. This is verses 18 to 24. It says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word would be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Excuse me, but, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And so as you can see, this this dump of all these amazing benefits of being at Mount Zion Zion versus being at Mount Sinai. And we're not going to necessarily go into each one of these. Why wouldn't we do that? Because we spent the whole book of Hebrews touching on all of these things. So the writer, in essence, is summarizing and really coming to this climax, which I really like to look at chapter 12 as a climax of the whole book. Now, I don't know about you, but if you sometimes people think this is terrible. Uh, you know, I'll watch a movie, especially now if I'm watching it on my iPad, and I'll often scroll and scrub all the way to the last few scenes of the movie just to see what the difference is, to see the arc of the, of the colors and the arc of the characters and just see what's going on. Of course, I go back, but I'd love to take a peek. I do the same thing with books. I like to go to the, at the end of the book, I like to see how it ends, and I like to know where I'm going. So if you were to start out and use that same uh, metaphor, analogy, whatever, for Hebrews, and you were to scroll to the end, to the climax, you would see something, if you were, af- if you were able to even have the imagination to be able to do it, that would literally blow your mind. You would see what they just described here as Mount Zion which really is the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And that would be a tremendous contrast. It would be otherworldly, you know, whereas if you were scrubbing through a movie and you thought it was a drama, and then at the end you see all these aliens and all this other stuff, like, what's going on with this movie? How is it changing that much? Well, 
Here, the author has built up to this passage. And I'm saying that, it's pretty bold to say that because you could say, a lot of times, I probably have said that 10 other times, but here I really mean it. And that is, is that he has written this book and he's come to this culmination to get, now remember, this is chapter 12. So he had a start, right, in chapter 1, and he just laid foundation after foundation after foundation to be able to present this climatic picture of not only a future reality, but also a present reality. And you could see that this, this author sort of did it sort of like if you look at your life as an example, when you were younger, I know when we see the young children here and the babies and things like that, they're always given little miniatures to play with, little tiny things that interest them, but really that represent something much bigger, that represents something that they're going to encounter in life, and when they do, it's going to have a lot more meaning than just the baby doll that they're holding and practicing to cuddle with and talk to, or the little model car that they built that they're looking at saying, wow, I want to get one of these when I'm older. Those things are miniatures, but they're a picture of a future reality in most cases. And so what, the, what they're showing you here, if you, if, you, if you paid attention before we did the candle re- uh, lighting, we read a really pa- terrifying sort of scripture. Um, I don't know if you ever witness on the street to people and you say, hey, you know, reach out to the Lord. He's calling your name. Go to Exodus chapter 19 and read from verses 10 to 25 and see this terrifying sight. You know, come to our church. You'll pull up. There's going to be thunder and lightning surrounding our church. It's going to be dark inside. You're going to walk in. The pastor's not going to preach. He's going to thunder and rumble. There's going to be lightning. And listen, don't come too close to the pulpit because you could be struck dead. That's in essence what the worshipers were used to in the Old Testament. And that's what this this passage is saying. This was a physical mountain that they're talking about in the Old Testament. They're talking about Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is the place, what? Where God gave the law to Israel after he delivered them out from Egypt, out of their bondage. He gave them the law at Mount Sinai. But when you look through the scriptures, Mount Sinai represents much more than just the law. Mount Sinai represents the entire Old Covenant order. What I mean by that is the whole way of doing religion with God in the Old Testament can be encapsulated in that one phrase, Mount Sinai. It represents the Torah, the law. It started out, that Old Covenant started there. And so it encapsulates everything. And this is so important for us to get. Yeah, this is one of these sermons this week that I felt to me is something that's, if I could pick any sermon, I guess, out of Hebrews, again, I probably say this a lot, that you would really get it. Not just say, oh, that was a good sermon. I understand a little bit here. But really get this aspect of theology. Get this aspect of what's going on right now in this reality that we're living in as it relates to the difference between Sinai, the Old Covenant, and Zion, meaning the Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem, 
or the new covenant. If you could get this, I believe it will give you a whole new lens of scripture, a whole new lens, I should say, to read scripture. But not only that, to make scripture become 2D into 3D and 4D. Because that's what it did for me when I first started to understand these concepts. And now when I go back and I look through through books like Hebrews, it's like one of those things that seems so complicated, but yet was just standing so simply right there into plain sight. And I know, you know, a lot of us have been Christians for a long time. And as we learn more and more about the Bible, sometimes we have to unlearn other things that we've we were taught in the past that maybe weren't so right or not even that they weren't so right. Maybe they weren't so clear and we've made certain assumptions about those things and it's taken us off to a different area. And I believe this concept of Mount Sinai versus Jerusalem versus Mount Zion, this concept of the old covenant versus the new is so critically important to understand because it not only puts in perspective what God is doing in his plan of redemption, but it also becomes crystal clear what your purpose is in the plan of God's redemption. The redemptive, not just redemption of your bodies, not just redemption, if you want to say, of your soul, but his overall plan of redemption, which is the renewal and restoration of the creation which you are an integral part of as a Christian. Integral. But like these young children that are given little miniatures to play with, there's a time where we have to put down the toys and accept the real and what it is. But sometimes it's a lot easier to keep playing with the toys, right? Rather than face that reality of responsibility that comes with, let's say, getting and operating a real car versus a model car. Or operating and parenting a real child versus a baby doll or a pet. <laughs> right? So we have, to, we have to really pay attention here and get this. So again, when they came to, the, to Sinai, it was gloom and doom. And why was it gloom and doom? Was it a different God back then? You see, one thing we have to understand about the law is that the law of God was primarily put into effect for for us to be protected from God. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons for the law, but in terms of the ceremonial law, in terms of all the stipulations of how to approach God, all of those were put into place for our own safety because we would have been absolutely consumed not by an angry, tyrannical God, but by a holy, holy, holy God. And we were fallen and are fallen creatures. But that's not the end picture. That's the miniature. That's the training ground that God put his people through. And this is the, how, this, the law is how he's taught us about his holiness. The law is also where we understand the character of God and his holiness. Exactly how deep it goes. But it was all there for a purpose. And this book, Hebrews, has been building up to it. Remember when we talked about the Hall of Faith, where all the faithful people in chapter 11, which started with Abraham, who's, 
who Abraham, who was given the covenant of grace, let's say, or he was, he was the one who manifested the covenant of grace by his faith before the works, before law. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, that he was looking for the city which has foundations, which architect and builder is God. So although Abraham was back at that time, he was even before all the miniatures came. He was before the toy cars and the toy dolls and all that stuff. He was the first one that God raised up as a solution to Adam's sin and said, I am going to build a nation out of you and I'm going to mark my people with your seed, the seed of faith in Christ. And so we get this glimpse of it. But Abraham knew that this is going beyond just Canaan. This is going beyond just the promised land. This is going to be my family, Abraham is thinking, is going to be part of that city which foundations and whose architect and builder is God. He, was, he saw that he was a part of that. And so this is all culminating. This is all going someplace. Where is it going? It's going to Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came into this world, he shifted. Well, he started to make the ship turn. And he shifted it. And that is we're going from the law, from the, the physical that can never impact spiritual to the spiritual that can only and does in fact impact the physical. Get that? So he's turning the law, which was all physical. It was all, you know, sacrificing, following this, doing that. But what was the problem of the law? Couldn't change the heart. In your all we talked about this morning when we started out here, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is, I don't know, I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is a supernatural power that Paul has from the Spirit. Now, before you're crucified with Christ, can you change your flesh? Can you change your heart? We were talking about in Sunday Bible study, it's impossible in the flesh under Adam to do anything that's motive, from a motive, from moral perspective to please God because our moral capacity has been crushed by sin. So no matter how good you do, no matter how many laws you follow, you are still coming up to that doom and gloom mountain, which is fire, trembling, black smoke. And if you come too close, even with your good works, you're going to be shot down. But now what happens is there's this shift. Jesus comes and reverses the curse. But more importantly, and this is what we have to get, he launched the kingdom of God. One of the biggest misunderstood concepts in all the Bible, in all of Christendom. The kingdom of God. What's the big divide there? People think the kingdom of God is heaven. They think that I will be in the kingdom of God when I get to heaven. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. The kingdom of God is a power that is sent out from heaven, which is called God's rule. That rule is placed out into the earth, and now because of the salvation that Jesus brought, 
And because of the Holy Spirit that he sent, that rule is now binding down on this earth. And so the kingdom of God is a power that's launched and released. And if you don't grasp that, you're going to continually look around and say, where's Jesus? How's he on the throne with all this evil going on in the world? Why are all these bad things happening still if Jesus defeated sin and death? But when you understand that the kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, what did Jesus say to Pilate when he was in John 18? He said what? Another big misunderstood verse. My kingdom is not of this world. See, it's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my people would fight. But in the Greek, it's a little different. The translators don't, in my opinion, do a good job. The NSAB and the ESV do a better job. But really what he's saying is that the source of his kingdom, the source of his power, is not from this world. His kingdom is not the one that's derived from this world. His power is not the sort that grows out of this world. Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' power, comes from the throne of Almighty God in heaven. Heaven is God's dwelling place. Now, what happened when Jesus came, he purchased the rights. He got the deed of the creation. He bought it back from the ransom that Satan had it under because of mankind's sin. And because of God's holiness, he cursed the earth. But he redeemed mankind. He never cursed man. Remember that. He cursed the earth. Man is still made in his image. Jesus comes and something happens. The shift begins. So now what happens? The kingdom comes in. God's power now comes in. Christ at the cross, he defeated sin and death. He unleashed God's power into the world, right? When you see the stake put in the ground, and just, just, it just impacts and contaminates everything. That's what Jesus did. So now there's this shift from Sinai to Zion. What do I mean by that? Well, like our old flesh, no matter what we do and how we dress it up and how many good things we do, it doesn't change our heart. But isn't it something that when the Holy Spirit comes in to each of us, we start to get a changed heart? Nothing physical we've done. We didn't work our way into a changed heart, just like we didn't work our way here uh, from our mother's womb. We didn't do that. We can't be born from above without Jesus, the Holy Spirit, coming and doing a work in us. You can't see. What did Jesus say? He doesn't say you can't go off to heaven unless you're born again. No, he says you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see the power of God working in this world. You're blind to that unless you're made born again. Now, you're born again, and now all of a sudden, everything switches. It's the big switcheroo. So instead of the physical Mount Sinai not being able to impact the heart and being useless, now Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, the power from heaven gives us the Holy Spirit, turns us around so we can impact the physical because it's first impacted our hearts spiritually. So now we are changed. Now we are made into a new creature. Now what do we do? We go out into the world and now we start to see physical things really change. That's what the miracles were about. 
symbolizing the curse being reversed, dead coming alive, lame walking, sicknesses healed, blind seeing, death hearing. These aren't just, hey, I'm God, check this out, poof. This is curse reversing actions. Jesus starting to say, the kingdom of God is here, duh. Eyes that couldn't see, now they see. What's the spiritual application? You were blind, now you can see because of me. And so now we come to this Mount Zion. This is what this writer's trying to tell him. He's saying, look, snap out of it, man. Get, out of, get rid of all this old covenant mentality. You don't want to be at this mountain, which you can touch and therefore get killed. You don't want to come up and, and, and have like something so terrible that you're going to be fearful and trembling before God just to come and worship. That's what you're holding on to. And meanwhile, that's all gone. Right? That's gone. Listen, it's 35 years about since Jesus died at this point. I don't know, 35 years ago, I don't know Matthew well, but I think it's 1988 maybe. I graduated from high school. Can you guys remember 1988? Many of you here can. Some of you weren't even born. But that's a bleep. This is fresh in their mind. Jesus dying on the cross is fresh in their mind. And one of his most popular, powerful Sermons of warning is what? This temple, this whole system, all these elements are going to be wiped away. That's about to happen. It's actually already started happening a little bit at this time in AD 65. The war started happening. The zealots were going crazy. Rome was pulling back. They didn't want to invade. But Jesus said, they're going to come. And when they do, flee to the mountains. And Jerusalem's not going to have one stone laid upon another. That's more than just prophecy. That's the exclamation point on the old covenant being gone. No more temple. Can't forget your sins forgiven the old way, can you? And that's what you're holding on to. That's what he's telling these Hebrews. You're holding on to something that's not only gone spiritually, that's not only taking people that were part of the Christian church who said, I don't want the blood of Christ. I want the blood of bulls and goats. That makes me feel comfortable. You're apostatizing. You're not going to be able to come back from that. But that's what you want to go to. And don't we do the same thing in our lives? We, we, we cling to the old because it's comfortable. Our flesh is the most comfortable thing on our body. Isn't it? Our old mind, right? I'm 53. If you haven't figured that out from my graduating year. And I've got a lot of bad stuff in my mind from over the years. I hate it. You're young, switch the gears now. So that way you don't have that impact. But that's the comfortable things I want to think about. Those are the things that I'm used to dealing with problems this way. But if I'm crucified with Christ and I've come to Mount Zion, now I am at a much greater advantage. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can now do something about this old mind and body and flesh. He can change it and he is changing it. And that's what the exciting thing is here. And he's, he's saying this in such a way that, you know, the, the writer of Hebrews is a big parallel artist. He's been paralleling things all the time, obviously, with Jesus. You know, the new covenant, old covenant, Moses and Jesus' work, priesthood and Jesus' work, Melchizedek and Jesus' work. And so he's this parallel artist. So he's talking about these two contrasts of Mount Sinai, which, can't be, which can be touched, but it, you'll be torched. 
and its darkness and gloom and a whirlwind and a blast of a trumpet and sounds of words that even those that heard it, they begged, I don't even want to hear it. Don't even let me hear God's voice. And so the old is about what? Stay away from me and just be happy. <laughs> you're able to sacrifice and do what you're supposed to be. You're happy you got the badge that you're a part of Israel, but stay away. Jesus comes and it's not, hey, I'm a new God now, come near. No, I have dealt with sin at the cross. My blood has paved the way into the holy place. You could come into my presence. But before you go running, realize this. My blood also launched the kingdom of God. It bought back the deed of creation. And I'm not done with it. I'm going to send you out to go as little mini temples out into the whole world and preach the gospel. And change it. Now make the world Mount Zion. Make the world the new Jerusalem. That's what Revelation 22 is about. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a perfect cube. Which is, which is the, 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 the antitype of the sanctuary. The inner holy of holies. Perfect cube. The presence of God is now with man. That holy, that holy of holies, the new Jerusalem. It's not, we're not looking for a spaceship, okay? This is apocalyptic, symbolic literature in the book of Revelation. But what it is showing us is what the Bible's been telling us since the first couple chapters. God is going to dwell fully with man, and the whole world is going to be full of his glory. What happens? Jerusalem comes down like a bride adored for her husband, and it becomes one with the earth. So here we have the new heavens, the new earth. It's not like, oh, wow, these are new. We got new heavens over there. We got new earth over here. This is great. No, they become one. They were one all along. It was just the curtain was separating it. But now you've come to the place where the curtain is open. And he is telling them something that, again, is one of the most misunderstood things. The kingdom of God is now. It's, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. It's within you. What happens when righteousness and peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit hit the world? What happens when, right, the, the old analogy is a little off here, but if you're a pig, you jump, if, you're, if you're a white suit and you jump into the pigsty, you're going to get muddy. Well, that's really not perfect comparison here, but you know what? When the, when the word of God and the kingdom of God goes out, it doesn't fail. We make the world muddy. <laughs> they don't make us muddy. It sticks. As a matter of fact, it's the only thing that does stick. The only thing that is impactful to eternity is the work that we're doing because you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. It doesn't say, hey, when you die... You're going to go to Mount Zion and you're going to be in the city of God. No, this is a present reality for the Hebrew people. How much more 2,000 years later for us? We have the canon of Scripture that attests to it on every page. And we have to understand that when we see in the Bible the pictures of the old, we shouldn't expect the old to be re-propped up again as part of the new. Just like if I was to put scaffolding on the building 
I put the scaffolding there to build and repair the building. The building's brand new. I take it down. It's not needed anymore. We don't leave the scaffolding up and decorate it and start living on the scaffolding again. We don't. It's not needed anymore. We have this throughout the Bible. We have the old Israel fulfilled in the transformed Israel, which is the church. Is the old Israel going to come back? No, the scaffolding's not coming back. Through the scriptures, we see that all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. We see Jesus threatening that generation. All the blood of the prophets spilled from Abel to Zechariah is going to be on you. That means that the judgment on Israel is going to be complete. It's not that Israel is going to be reformed in a nation again and then two, two and a half or two thirds of them are going to be killed by the Antichrist and all this other stuff. It's, it, to me, it's baffling. The old is gone. It's the new. The old covenant, the new covenant. The blood of animals, the blood of Christ. Old Jerusalem, new Jerusalem. Old temple, new temple. Old priesthood, new priesthood. Old creature, new creature. You see, everything in Christ is, yes, is all the promises of God are found in Christ. And that's where it stops. And now we have the ramifications of that, which is this new creation that has been launched at the resurrection of Christ. It says it right here. You have come right to the city of the living God. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. There's a crossover it's not a discontinuous thing. We have the old age and the new age, and we are living in, that, in between that. And when you go out with the gospel and you're going out living for Christ, you are literally pushing in the kingdom of God further and further and further. As Jesus said, some people, like referring back to the time of John the Baptist, they, would, they were fighting the kingdom of God with violence. They were trying to bring it in violently. By force, that's wrong. We simply have to be the children of God, proclaiming the gospel, possessing the Holy Spirit, but please understand where you are standing. You are not standing at the foot of the, of the hill that's an inferno at Mount Sinai. You are standing in the city of the living God with myriads of angels looking down upon us going, wow, look at this. I can't even figure this out. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Notice, enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So he's saying, look, those that have passed, they're there. You're in, that, you're in the presence of God which they're in the presence of God. You can't see them now. But that brings me great comfort. They're, I'm with the church of the firstborn, the general assembly in heaven. Everyone that was ever saved from the beginning of time to the end is, that, is represented there. And the judge of all. I'm not petrified like I would be in the old covenant because the judge in the old covenant, <laughs> it was all guilt. The, see, a judge, when we think a judge, oh, I don't want to go before the judge, right? When's the time you want to go before the judge? When you know he's going to judge in your favor. 
right? Taking someone to court, they did something wrong. I'm going to go see that judge, man. I can't wait to get in front of the judge. Why? Because the judge makes things right. And so we at Mount Zion, we love the judge because he made us right. And he's going to reconcile every wrong. And ultimately to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. What the blood of Abel screamed out vengeance against Cain. Jesus's blood screams out redemption. It's the complete opposite Two bookends. And so where you're at right now, remember when Moses was standing on holy ground and Joshua, when the, when the, art, when the captain of the army of the Lord was there, he says, I, you know, I'm a captain of the army of the Lord. You take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. We are in holy ground. As a Christian, you are standing with one foot. And I don't mean this from a moral perspective. I mean this from a real present reality in terms of where you are right now. You have one foot in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God, and you have one foot in the world, but the kingdom of God is pushing that world out and making and paving out new creation as you go, as you preach, as you do what you do as a child of God. But if you're thinking, oh, you know, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm just sitting around waiting to get out of here. And then I'm going to float up in this disembodied state in heaven. And that's where I'm going to spend my life. You're not going to care too much about what's most important to God. And that is his creation, including you. But we say, well, Jesus just came and saved me to get me, save me from hell. Get me out of here and take me off to heaven and just rescue me. No, he came here to save you, to get you out of hell, to rescue you for a purpose here on earth. And then when you pass from this world, you'll be present with Jesus, with the church of the firstborn. But then, that's just, to me, that's like a pit stop. That's going to get gassed. Stop and get it full up. Because the real beauty is the resurrection. And if you have, listen, I'm not saying it's not good to think about heaven and say, I'm going to be with God in heaven and all that. That's great. But if you're missing the resurrection, you're missing the whole point of the New Testament. The the going to heaven does not appear in the New Testament. Other than being present with the Lord, absent with the body, present in the Lord. But it's nowhere else in the New Testament. I don't see it. If you can find it, send me it. I want to see it. It's not anywhere in the book of Acts. What am I trying to say? Am I trying to speak heresy here, saying there's no heaven? No. I'm saying what their emphasis is, is the resurrection. Preaching this King Jesus. No one cared that they would preach about another God saving them from a, 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 you know, a bad um, post-life eternity. No one would care about that. But what Jesus did is he confronted the powers of darkness. He confront, confronted the powers of evil. He confronted that face-to-face by standing in front of the representation. Pilate. Paul at Rome. This is, all, this is all language for us to see that God has went to the king of the world in our mindset, the capital of the world, and he has overcome that Amen. as a picture of what he's doing in all the earth. If we can get this, if we could stop clinging to those things that can be shaken, right? Realize that we are standing in a spiritual kingdom with a very important job 
as a kingdom agent. And that is to bring the, like Jesus said, your will as in heaven, I want to bring it on earth. Because that's what God is job. He's cre- he created, right, in Genesis 1, 2, 3. And that creation was done, and it was good. And he's not given up on that. He's not flushing it down the toilet. He's changing it and making all things new through you and your work. So this place where we stand, again, I talked a lot about theology today, but I just want to encourage you spiritually, from a devotional perspective, you could come because of this, the benefits, we could go on and on and on. You can come to God with your sin, without fear. You could lay it at his feet. You can draw near, not just creeping in, knocking on the door, but you, he says we can boldly enter his throne of grace. We have to make sure that we understand that this, all, all of this is made possible by nothing that we have done, but by the grace of God. Now, next week, I want to continue on this note. Now, I was tempted to go down to the end of the chapter because everything I was speaking to you about today is continued next week. So grab a hold of this because next week he talks about how this, how this is literally going to, how he shook the earth before from Mount Sinai. He's going to shake the earth again. And I'm not talking about 2,000 years in the future. Before a tribulation, I'm talking about within five years of this writing, this writer is warning them that the things which are seen are going to be wiped out and time is running out. Now that applies to us, right? We think we have all the time in the world. We don't. We don't. Right? 150,000 people every day. Boom, they're gone. 50, 100 years from now, most of us will be gone. Make sure you're right with the Lord. Make sure your conscience is clean before God. Make sure you understand and grasp this grace that he's given you that can be found nowhere else other than at the foot of Mount Zion. That's where everybody is. That's where the party's at. That's where all the, the, that's where the general assembly and the churchborn are hanging out. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's our ultimate destination. That's going to come in its fullness. But it starts now. That's the one thing that I said from in the beginning. If I can get you to grab that. To get you to grab this dichotomy. I can get you to grab the fact that the old is gone. And the new is being fulfilled now. Then I believe you're going to have a whole different experience when you read, read the word. And you're going to see. And I believe have a lot more joy in the fact on how you serve the Lord. Because of the impact that you know that you're going to be making. So... That's what I have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this reality of what you've done at the cross. That you've launched your kingdom, Lord. That you've cleansed us from, your, from our sins. And that you've given us a vocation, Lord. You've renewed that vocation to go out and to be your image bearer. And I pray, Lord, for the ability to do just that. So, Lord, if there's anything that we're not doing that you want us to do, I pray that you show us, each of us, individually. I pray that you open our eyes even more to the realities of your word and the scriptures and the kingdom and all these things. And I pray ultimately, Lord, that you would bring, that you would use faith evangelical church, Lord, to bring in your kingdom, and that you would bring people here, Lord, that, that you want to hear your word and your gospel preached. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.